So I want to give you some scriptures this morning. If you've been here the past few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus, our master, and him causing us or showing us how to master uh, different facets of our life. We've seen areas that he's the master, but we've also been seeing how he wants us to master certain things. This morning, I want to talk to you about mastering adversity or, or obstacles. That There's things that, that come into our lives. Uh, Jesus himself. I mean, I think Jesus, you would think if anybody was going to be obstacle free it would be the Lord Jesus Christ but everybody in the word of God whether it's Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach Meshach and Menego in the fiery furnace or David and Goliath everybody in the, the Bible even if there were people called after God's own heart they had adversity the Bible says that after Jesus was baptized he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil you would think that he wouldn't be led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil but he was the storms of life Jesus said come to everybody but he's given us a cure he's given us remedies he says listen if you'll build your house upon the rock then when the storms of life come your house will stand if you build your house upon the sand when the storms of life come your house won't stand so Jesus said listen storms coming to everybody baby and it could be divorce or a house burned down or a child could pass away or any number of things storms come but but we have an advocate with the father we have the word of God the blood of Jesus we have things supernatural tools and I believe the word of God is one of them now, if you look at in the New Testament I'm primarily going to stay in the Old Testament this morning but if you just look at Jesus in the New Testament in one particular passage we find him sleeping in the bottom of a boat and even though he's sleeping in the bottom of a boat the, the Bible says that the waves uh, in the boat were tearing the boat apart I mean they are that there's a huge hurricane that's hitting this boat and everybody's freaking out over this storm have you ever freaked out over a storm before Jesus is in the boat come on Jesus is in your boat and yet sometimes storms can come in and you can totally you totally start to lose it so they go down into the bottom of the boat and they wake up the master they say master master wake up get up get up and Jesus gets up and, and he uh, gets on to them. They, they say, Lord, we're going to perish. We're going to die. And Jesus said these words. He says, oh, ye of little faith, how long must I be with you? In other words, Jesus said, listen, I'm in the boat. Storms are coming. But he says, I thought that I'd been with you long enough to teach you that you can do something about the storm. You don't just have to be susceptible to the storm. You can actually do something uh, that, that, that's proactive when bad things happen. So Jesus comes out of the boat. He says, oh, you have little faith. How long am I going to have to be with you? Peace, be still. And then, of course, it's just like glass. He goes back to bed and he continues snoring and they're all standing there like, oh my God, what just happened? But the, the, the point is, uh, this morning, I want you uh, to, to grasp what, what I believe Jesus was trying to get them to grasp. And that is, listen, storms are coming. But how long does Jesus have to be with us until we recognize that, that we can do what Jesus did and we can overcome. That's the New Testament. I want to show you this morning in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you got your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen behind you. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a story uh, of a king named Jehoshaphat. Everybody say that four times. Uh, just kidding, you don't have to. Uh, this particular king, his name is Jehoshaphat. Before we read the word of God this morning, I'd like to pray for you, pray for myself, 
and uh, then we'll get into the word this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God, uh, for uh, your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. But Father God, we don't want to just come with words of men's wisdom, but we want demonstrations. We want power. We want the Holy Spirit that we welcome you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. Uh, to use me, I, I pray, Father God, for revelation upon every person that's here that they recognize and see that even if it's maybe not a storm they're going through now, could be something that's, that's coming upon the horizon. But, Father God, that they don't have to be afraid, that we can learn from Jesus and, and we can recognize uh, our part to play in this matter. Father God, we pray for every person that's not here, all of our church family that's traveling all over the place. Thank you, Father God, for uh, uh, the grace of God upon them as they go to and fro, and uh, they come home safe. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 1. Here, before I start here, I just want to uh, show you what, what Jehoshaphat's problem is. Jehoshaphat's particular problem that we're about to read is he has three armies that are coming against him. Three different nations are surrounding the nation of Judah. And whenever they would surround a nation, uh, they would cut off those people's water, they would cut off those people's food, and they would starve them out and start to dehydrate them out. And then after they had cut off their supplies, they would attack. Why? Well, because everybody knows if you don't give a man something to eat, it ain't long before he just runs out of gas. So they just wait for all the guys, everybody to run out of gas because there's no food, and then they attack. So Jehoshaphat here has three armies that are coming against him. That's his problem. All of us have different problems. Maybe you feel like you had six armies coming against you. Listen, I don't care if there would have been 1,400 armies coming against Jehoshaphat. If he would do uh, what God told him to do, then it would work. Did I put First Chronicles in there? We'll put Second. I'm sorry. I put First Chronicles in the computer, but it is Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Verse 1, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, multiple army, armies, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Historically, we know that Jehoshaphat was a good king. Uh, the nation, uh, nation of God had had some horrible kings, but Jehoshaphat was considered a good king. And the way that they considered somebody a good king was not how much gold or how much money. If you sought the Lord, you were a good king. If you didn't seek the Lord, you were not a good king. Here, Jehoshaphat, he's a good king. And he's, he's used to living life sumptuously. How I many of you know what sumptuously means? Sumptuously means he's used to getting things his way. He's a king. His daddy was a king. His grandpappy was a king because he comes from a lineage of kings. He had the pig with the apple in his mouth. He had all the, all the, the ladies, all the servants, all the horses, the cows, the goats. He had life very good. And yet no matter how good life is, now a storm has come off of the horizon and is coming to his house. And there's nothing that he can do about it naturally. But I believe there's three things here I'm going to show you that Jehoshaphat did in mastering adversity. It says, verse 2, it says, Some of, Someone came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. His first response was, Oh no, I, I'm afraid. 
But after that it says, and he set himself to seek the Lord. I want to give you three things this morning about how to overcome adversity or situations that are difficult. This king is used to not difficulty, but now difficulty has showed up. And now that it showed up, I believe he did three really key component things to get himself out of a bind. The first thing that he did is his position. If you're taking notes, you just write position. All three of them happen to start with the word P. But position, he set himself or he positioned himself to seek the Lord. No doubt he had lots of, lots of responsibilities. He's a king, lots of stuff going on. But he had to put himself in, in a position of seeking the Lord. And, and there's different ways that you can put yourself in position to seek the Lord. Uh, myself, uh, just recently, I, I fast three days every month. If you don't know what fasting is, that just means you don't eat for three days. So once a month, I'll take three days and I don't eat for those three days. Well, don't you get hungry? Yes, I get incredibly hungry. I could eat that chair. But, uh, but, but for those three days, the reason that I'm doing that is there's certain things that will be on my heart that I want to position myself to seek the Lord. And that's one way that I position myself. Last year, I didn't do that. Last year, I did one day a week. This year, I'm doing three days a month. Every year, I do something. Why do I do that? Well, the, again, I'm positioning myself to seek the Lord specifically about certain things. Also, whenever you fast, uh, you learn uh, that you're telling your body what to do instead of your body telling you what to do. Because most people, everybody is spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And, but most people, even though their spirit is what's going to live forever, that's the part. Worms are going to eat your body. That's just the fact. But your spirit's going to come right out of your body. The Bible says to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. And the moment your heart stops beating, your spirit's going to come right out of you and your body body is going to return to the earth and yet most people live body conscious how's my body look I need a tan I need this body 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 but your body tells you what to do but whenever you fast you're just really saying body you're not going to tell me what to do I'm going to tell you what to do I'm going to tell you when to get up what to eat what to watch and if you don't ever do that then you just live your whole life according to your body so that's another reason why I do it but I do it because specifically like this month uh, my wife was bringing our kids to a kids camp a kids camp uh, in, in Texas and so I called her I told her I said you know I've been fasting uh, uh, for three days that, that whenever you get to camp, that God's going to do something uh, great for Noble and Ansley, that whenever they get in the presence of God, I believe that he's just going to mark them, just brand them. How many of y'all know them fraternity? You get branded. You get that little swirly hoop thing. And, and I, but I'm believing God to just brand or mark our kids. And she says, I got the same word that I'm believing that God would just mark our kids. And we can, well, I'm, I'm fasting specifically. That was just one of about three things that I was setting myself up to, to seek the Lord, to position myself to seek the Lord. Here, Jehoshaphat is in a, a terrible predicament. But he knows the first thing he needs to do is position himself. He probably has to close, to close the door on some things. I can't do that. I can't play uh, yard darts today. Can't do it. Uh, yard darts are not an option today. Lawn bowling can't do it. You know, whatever kings do in their courtyard, I can't do that today. I've got to, I'm positioning myself to seek the Lord. Number one, position. It says he, he sought the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He did the same thing I do. We're brilliant. Verse four says, so Judah gathered together to ask help 
from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said... O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham and your friend forever? And they dwell in it and they've built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Listen, the second thing that he did is he praised. Everybody say praise. Praise. He positioned himself to seek the Lord. But the second thing that he did is he began to praise or magnify the Lord. This is really difficult. I know some of y'all looking at me like, well, this is kind of strange. In the middle of being surrounded by armies, uh, that's what this man chose to do. This man, surrounded with bad odds, he began to magnify or praise God. Why is he doing that? He begins to make God bigger than his situation. How many y'all know what it means to magnify? If you magnify something, you make it really big and really large. What, what do we do a lot of times? A lot of times we go to God with our problem and we talk up the problem so much. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And our imagination starts working. How many of y'all know what imagination is? And that imagination will take you on a trip. So you know Jehoshaphat, his imagination was probably wanting to take him to him starving and then taking his kids away from him and then getting stabbed and head come off and I mean, your imagination can just show you the worst possible thing and just going over and over and over again. And sometimes we go to God that way. But Jehoshaphat didn't do that. Jehoshaphat went to God and made him big. And he said, aren't you the God that delivered us this last time? Aren't you the God that did this for us? Didn't we do this and then you did this? And he makes God really big. And then his situation doesn't seem as overcoming because... Because he sees, man, God's delivered us time and time again. He's brought us through the Red Sea. He rained down manna from heaven. He brought quail in, water out of a rock. He delivered us from Pharaoh's army. And he just talks up God to the point that his problem seems not overwhelming. I was talking to uh, uh, Cody uh, where's Cody? Cody's in here somewhere. Yeah, Cody, Cody, me and Cody are visiting. And uh, Cody's had these, these things going on in his life where he was, uh, I guess, on life support for like a month or something, six weeks after, uh, after a motorcycle wreck and then got blown up in Iraq by an idea, totally different thing. And just one thing after another, he's came very close to death. And yet he knows that he said, God, God, God preserved me. Now for the rest of Cody's life, any storm that tries to come on his horizon he'll be able to look back and say my god an IED didn't blow me up my god whenever I was on life support for for uh, six weeks and all the doctors were trying to pull the plug and and I came out and they said I'd be uh, a, a vegetable the rest of my life and now I'm sitting here he can take each one of those things and, and he can go with that to God and whatever the storm is he can make how big God is so large and then the problem seems like well by God, if he did all that, surely the Lord Jesus, he can take care of this little thing that I've got going on right here. So, so the first thing he did is he positioned himself.
himself to seek the Lord. The second thing he did is he just praised or he just magnified God. Let's see what he did next. Only got one more. I mean, I think you can do the first two. I mean, aren't you glad he didn't tell you to tightrope over the Grand Canyon? I mean, y'all watch that guy. It's coming on Sunday night. The man's going to tightrope over the Grand Canyon. I watched some of it last night getting ready for it. He's out there cranking on the cables. And I thought, my God, I'm glad that God didn't say, in order for me to get deliverance, I got to walk across the tightrope on the Grand Canyon. But a lot of people, they act like that, like, oh, God, I'm about to fall. Lord Jesus, help us. Anyway, praise God. What verse am I at, babe? You don't know either. You're not paying attention. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Praise God. Verse 9, he goes on. He's still going on, and he says, If disaster came upon us, he's just talking about, he's talking to God. He says, listen, if disaster comes upon us, whether it's sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand there. God bless you. We will stand there before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save Man, he's just telling him how great he is. Come on, I believe you should go into God if you've got a problem and talk about how great he is. Don't talk about how big the problem is. No, the devil is, he's whipped. He's a defeated foe. Man, I'll just go in there and just talk about how great God is. Verse 10, the third thing he does though, is he says, And now here are the people. The third thing that he does here is he begins to plead his case. First thing, he positions himself. Second thing, he praises God. But the third thing here is he begins to plead his case. The Bible says in Isaiah uh, chapter 43, verse 26, he says, Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Hear God, and, and through Isaiah, he's telling us, listen, state your case or make your case. Why is it that you want what you want? Verse, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come, now let us reason together, says God. So here, uh, we're going to see what his reasoning was here. Verse 10, he says, Here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. He's kind of getting on to God here. He says, You wouldn't let us invade him. If you would have let us invade these people, they wouldn't be such a problem to us right now. Let me say this. If you're mad at God, he can take it. If you'll position yourself and if you'll magnify him and you get in his presence, he can take your criticism. If you're mad at him and you say, you know what, God, I don't know why you let this happen. I think you should have done this. And if you would have helped me here, then this wouldn't have been a problem. God can take that. And if you'll talk to him, he'll talk back. And he'll show you or he'll reveal to you why it didn't go down the way you think that it should have went down. But he can take your talk. He can take your lip. He's not afraid of you talking to him. He says, you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but the Israelites turned from them and did not destroy them. But here they are, and they're rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. He's got a pretty good argument, doesn't he? 
He's got a pretty good argument. You remember whenever, whenever God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going he's to destroy. And Abraham comes to God and he says, God, if I find a hundred good men in that city, will you spare the city? And God says, yeah, I'll spare the city if you can find a hundred good people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham basically changed God's mind. God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them. It's over. But Abraham, because he was willing to plead his case, come before him and talk to him he talked to God out of killing millions of people down to not killing anybody but God says if you can find a hundred people I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah well Abraham comes back at him again he he says if I find 50 people he's kind of leaning in like well hello if I find 50 people will you destroy him he says I won't destroy the city if you can find 50 Abraham comes back again he says if I find 10 people in that city that love you will you spare the whole city God says I'll spare that whole city if you can find 10 Abraham Abraham's got a lot of gumption you gotta like you gotta like Abe Abe comes back and he says, God, if I find one person in that city, will you not destroy the city? And Abraham talked to God all the way down from destroying that whole city to not destroying it if he could find one person. But we know the rest of the story. Maybe you don't. He didn't find any, so he destroyed the city. But anyway, God gave him the opportunity. He says, listen, if you'll plead with God, if you'll reason with God, God's not unreasonable. He's not beyond reason. You can reason. You can, you can talk to him. Verse 12 says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude who is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Everybody say position. He's just, again, he's saying, our eyes are upon you. Verse 13, I love this. He says, Now all Judah with their little ones. I mean, I think little ones. Come on, your little ones count, and they matter, and they're important. And, and he gathers even the little ones, their wives and their children. And as a family, as a unit, the next thing is, is he says, they stood before the Lord. Or again, position. They just positioned themselves before the Lord. Verse 14. We're almost down. Have y'all with me? Thank you. Verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came. Stop right there. Jehoshaphat did three really distinct things. He positioned himself. He praised God. He pleaded his case. And then the Spirit of God came. Listen, if you're going through adversity or obstacles or bad things are happening, I believe if you'll do these three things, the Spirit of God will come in. What's the Spirit of God going to do? Well, we're about to read. We're about to find out. What was the Spirit of God's response? They did their part, but then God comes in and does His part. I believe the two, really two of the most important words in the Bible are if and then. All throughout the Bible we see if and then we see the word then. Isaiah 1.18 says, If you be willing and obedient, then you shall eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient, then you shall eat 
the good of the land. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he says, If you forgive others, then God will forgive you. Isn't that what he said? In, in chapter 7 of Chronicles, he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. What's God saying? He says, If you do your part, I'll do my part. And I believe whatever you're going through, if you'll do your part, if you'll follow Jehoshaphat here or follow Jesus with the storm, if you do your part, then the Spirit of God will come in and say some things. Well, let's see what the Spirit of the Lord says. The Spirit of the Lord came, in, came upon this particular person. I'm not going to try to say all those names because I'll just butcher them and that's not right. So, but the Spirit of the Lord comes upon one of these individuals. In verse 15, he says, Listen, all of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude. The first thing that the Lord tells him, the first thing that the Spirit of God tells him to do is don't freak out. Don't be afraid, do not fear, don't be discouraged. So my first thing I could tell you this morning, if you're going through something, some of you aren't going through anything. You're like a king and you've got the pig with the apple in its mouth. But there could be a storm on the horizon and it may be next year, next month. I don't know what's, what's going to, uh, what, what, you know, what's the hurricane season going to do this year? I don't know. If you look at the tornadoes, I watched a lot of that tornado coverage and those people are sitting there and everything was really good. And within six 16 minutes, things got bad really quick. And they were interviewing some of the pastors. And some of the pastors got up the Sunday before that storm, those tornadoes hit. And that pastor taught a message similar to this one. I was reading the articles. And he says, I just, I didn't know what I was saying. Didn't know what I was saying. But the very next day, in 16 minutes, our whole town lost everything. So am I saying that's going to happen here? No, I'm totally not saying that. But I'm saying I don't know what's going to happen. But even if you do have the pig with the apple in his mouth, you don't know what tomorrow's going to have and it could have you know any number of things but if we'll do our part the spirit of God will come in and he'll tell you first thing he'll tell you don't be afraid the second thing he'll tell you is he says for the battle is not yours but God's the second thing he tells him is he says let me take control here or give me the ball how many y'all watch the finals some of y'all watch the finals. Some of y'all don't like LeBron. Y'all LeBron haters and stuff. Uh, I feel you. Uh, I don't hate him. Thank you. Thank you. It's a term. It's like slang, like hater. It's not that I, I have genuine hate in my heart for LeBron. It's just a, it's a, I, you know what I'm saying. Right, right, right. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. So, so but here... It, to me, it would be like if me and, uh, let's just say, if me and Tanya were going to play a three-on-three tournament and LeBron was on our team, but we wouldn't give LeBron the ball. And LeBron is like, give me the ball. And we're like, no, LeBron, you can't handle the ball. Me and Tanya got this. How ridiculous would that be? And yet God here, he's saying, he's saying, give me possession of the battle. You've done your part. You've positioned yourself. You've honored me. You've praised me. You've trusted me. You've pleaded your case. And, and I'm for you. Now I need possession of this ball. Because, but we hold on to the ball. We're like, no, no. And he's like, but I'm LeBron. I'm LeBron. I can take it to the hole. And we're like, no, you can't. You can't even dribble. And God here, the second thing he tells him, is he says, give me 
possession. I need the battle. Because if you won't let go of this thing, then I can't do any. If you're going to try and do it in your own strength or your own might, when his own strength would do nothing for him, he's surrounded by an army that's going to whip him, that's going to destroy him. The second thing God tells him is he says, give me possession. Verse 16 says, tomorrow do not go down against them. The third thing he gives them is a plan. How many of y'all God will give you a plan? How many of y'all know he'll give you a plan? He'll show you what to do. And lots of people, they say, well, how do you know it's God? Or how do you know it's the Lord? Or how do you know it's not just you? How do you? Listen, if you'll position yourself, this is the problem. Most people don't want to take the time to do the positioning or the fasting or do whatever it takes. And then they, they live their life wondering, well, what if, what if? No, if you'll do your three things, Spirit of God will come in and He'll reveal. He'll show you a plan. He tells them exactly what to do. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. The fourth thing He does here is He tells them how the enemy's coming. Let me do that. He tells them, he says, the enemy's coming. This is how they're coming in. Isn't that, isn't that such an advantage? Isn't that what a wonderful advantage when you know how they're getting in? And the Lord will tell you or show you why you're having this problem. There was a time we had been married just for a couple years. And I'll never forget, it's a bad day for me. But we were laying in bed and my wife said, uh, 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 Tomorrow, I'm leaving. We're, 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 we're done. We will be separated tomorrow. And, of course, I'm laying there like, whatever, you ain't ever get out of here. Now, that's my macho attitude. But the next morning at about 8 o'clock, there was a truck that looked like he was a mile long. And he backed up to my front door. And within about an hour, me and a chair were in my living room. Just me and a chair. I only own one chair. That's all, all she left me was a chair. She's full of the devil. Just kidding. <laughs> All she left me was my one brown chair, and I sat in the first home that we ever bought on 3344 Wainwright, and I sat there all alone on that chair. What did I do? I began to seek the Lord. I did. I began to seek the Lord because I didn't understand where did we go wrong. But did you know that the Spirit of God, uh, over the course of a few days, He showed me where I went wrong? He showed me where the devil got in. And He said, well, you talk to her like that? And then she feels like this. And if you would have done this. And if you wouldn't have done that. And he totally showed me this is where the enemy's coming from. And if you'll correct, if you can plug that hole, then he won't have access to your heart or to your life. And here, God is giving Jehoshaphat the cure or the remedy. He says, listen, if you'll take care of this, this is where the enemy's coming You've got to close that door. So what did I do? Well, we took a six months. Uh, she, she moved out. She was gone for six months. She moved to Baton Rouge. But, but for those next six months, I had to recognize this is where I missed it. This is why. And it was most, a lot of it, most of it was my fault. But you know what? I found out where the enemy was coming in. How did I find out? I sought the Lord. He told me. And you know what happened? Well, 10 years later, things are great. I was telling Noble this morning that, that thank God that we've got a, a great marriage. But, but God will show you where the enemy's coming in. The fourth thing he does is he shows him where the enemy comes in. Let's bring it home. Let's see what happens now. Praise God. I just want to encourage you. If you're going through some things, God will show you how to fix them. If you choose not to fix them, then you'll be stuck with the results. At any point, Jehoshaphat could have bailed out of this whole deal. Said, I'm out. There's too, it's not worth it to me. Well, then you'll, you'll get stuck with it and don't get mad at God. Praise God. Verse 17 says, 
Or let's just go back up verse 16. He says, Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them, you'll find your enemy at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And then you, but he says, verse 17, he says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. How many of y'all remember position? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear. He tells him again, do not fear. Why? Because fear will short circuit this whole deal. You get afraid, it's not going to work. He says, no, you don't be afraid. Tomorrow, go down against them. For the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Everybody say position. Now he's just before the Lord. His face is to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord praising or worshiping the Lord. They're just going through the same things over and over again. Positioning, praising, answering. I mean, praise God. Verse 19 says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. How many of you know sometimes it's okay to get loud and high? Not high. Loud. It's okay to get loud. That could be misconstrued. Voices has got loud. His voices got loud and high. Verse 20 says, So they rose up early in the morning. Now I want you to grab this because I've got I've to wrap this up. But the next morning, we're going to see what happens. Because they just came out of a real powerful service. Right? They just came out of a powerful service. The Spirit of God's talking. Things are being said. People are screaming and hollering. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Woo, 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 woo. I've been in services just like that. But then the next morning, the woo-woo is gone. Woo-woo. It's, it's not there anymore. It's gone. Where did the woo-woo go? Well, you just lost it. You had it yesterday. Yesterday you were in the presence of the Lord and the prophet of God is speaking and things are happening and you're getting instruction and it's awesome. But Sunday ends and you're left with Monday and the cloud is still on the horizon. What do you do whenever you feel like you got the victory only to find out you really ain't got the victory. Well, let's see what happens here. They rose up early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. That had to be depressing. We just came out of this great service and now we're in the wilderness. But let's see. you got to love Jehoshaphat. But as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. What's he doing here? He's reminding them, don't let go of what you got got at church yesterday don't let go of that victory that you got remember what the prophet said remember what God has done in the past don't let go of everything that you got yesterday no we need it today and I'm listening I'm telling you believe me trust me this is a challenge that we all face Whenever we have, we feel like God really does something and then we walk out and find out we're still in the wilderness. But you have to really hold on to.
to what, what you got. And you have to hold on to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. And he says, if you'll do it, then it's going to work. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those to sing to the Lord and to praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. What's happening here? Well, this is really funny. I wish I had more time to talk about it. But you have a whole army. I mean, I was watching The Last Samurai the other day. How many of y'all like that movie? Oh, is that not the best Tom Cruise movie ever? Just kidding. I love that movie, Last Samurai. But on Last Samurai, you got this army, and then you got this army, and they're coming to battle. They're about to battle here. And usually behind the army, there's like a guy with a trumpet, like, or a harp or something, you know, like he's way back at the back. He's totally unarmed. He has, he's, he's out of the way, okay? You just play us a, you know, a hymn or a flute or something while we all slaughter each other, and that'll be awesome. But here, God says, listen, I want you to take all of the praisers that are unarmed, that, that would usually be behind the army and I want you to move them to the front of the army and I want you to instruct them to march out and say the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever so you've got to put this in your brain you've got three armies that are ready to fight and then all of a sudden all the praisers get out front and they start praising and worshiping the Lord and I'm, some of them probably thought man this is not going to go well for us we are totally unarmed. We got our flutes, and that's all we got is a flute and a harp, and it's not going to go well. But the Bible says at the very next verse, verse 22, it says, As they began to implement the plan, that's my words, but as they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. The Amplify says that they began to self-slaughter. Man, don't you like that? Go on ahead, Jesus, right? It says, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against Mount Seir. What happened? I don't know, but apparently the three armies were there and Mount Seir got the last thing of baked beans or whatever, but something happened and it made the other two armies mad. And I'm getting the last baked beans. No, you're getting the last baked beans. And then, then all of a sudden, Moab attacks Mount Seir and starts whooping on Mount Seir. Well, apparently, Moab and Ammon somewhere, maybe first cousins were married or something. So, so so now you got these two armies that attack Mount Seir and totally kill all of them. And then Moab gets mad at, 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 at the Ammonites. So maybe one of them accidentally elbowed them or something, and all of a sudden they start bar fighting against each other. Right? It's an all-out brawl, just a total brawl. And then they totally self-slaughtered themselves. It says they helped to destroy one another. I like it when God just makes the enemy just destroy himself. Lord, help us. Thank you, he did. Verse 24 says, So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude, and there were nothing but dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. 
Verse 25 says, And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped off for themselves to carry it away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. What's that mean? For three days, they're just taking the pocket watches. They didn't really have pocket watches, but you know, you see those movies. They're taking the buttons off the shirt, whatever they're taking off of these people for three days they gather the spoil on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka that word Baraka just means blessing God has a way of turning your valley into a blessing Lord Jesus I wish I had more time uh, praise God. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. Last, last couple of verses. Hang with me. Then they returned every man and child. I just couldn't help but think about all the kids that had to be there. All the six and seven and eight and nine, ten and eleven year olds. Just a few verses before they gathered together with their families and their moms and their dads and they watched their parents worship the Lord and take this situation and give it over to God. And now they're watching their same parents gather up all of that junk when God totally delivered them. I just can't help but notice it doesn't mention any of the kids but you know that they were there. It says they returned every man and child I wrote in my Bible of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them I believe he was weeping a lot of kings whenever they win battles they want to stick their chest out but he had to know this had nothing to do with me I believe he came back just weeping at the goodness of God it says they returned to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies verse 28 says so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord the last thing I want to tell you this morning is what I love about this story is after they won the victory they returned to the house of the Lord because many times I've seen people come to the Lord when they're in the pokey how many of y'all know what the pokey is they're in the jail they come to Jesus when they're in jail but the moment they get out of jail they never return to the house of the Lord the moment they get what they're believing God for they never return to the house of the Lord I believe one of the things that made Jehoshaphat such a good king was the fact that he won he obeyed but after he got the victory he led all of the people back to the house of God and he recognized listen the only reason I made it out of this situation is with God and the only help that I'm going to get in the next situation is going to be God and I believe if we'll follow these things if we'll just do just three little things we'll just follow just do our part whatever the adversity whatever comes whatever comes in the next five or ten or twenty years of our life or nation that if we'll do our part God will give us a strategy he'll show us how to shut the door He'll give us uh, uh, everything uh, that we need that pertains to life and godliness. But once we come out, once we get the victory, we have to learn to return to the house of the Lord. We've seen so many people come down to the altar and get saved and get born again. But then they, they don't. They don't come back to the house of the Lord, which is really a shame. Praise God. I have to quit this morning. I have to close. Thank you guys for paying good, close attention. Praise God. We're going to pray together this morning. You want to say something? Okay, come on. 
Jean. Just real quick, uh, today that was some, those are some great keys. Really good. And, and we don't want to be, like you said, we don't want to be like those people who wake up Monday morning and you remember the shouting and you remember the victory that you had on Sunday. And then on Monday you're like, where's it at? What happened? So we're, we're going to put this message. It's on the Internet. It, we're going to upload it today. Um, maybe to, by tomorrow it will be uploaded. So if you need, because I encourage you, if, if you don't take notes, that's one reason why you take notes, because our natural mind forgets and we get bombarded by, by the cares of this world and, and bills tomorrow and work tomorrow and t-ball practice and swim meets and stuff like that. But you don't want to forget these things that you get in moments like this. And the other thing I want to tell you is, is that we put this stuff in us. You put the word of God in you when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it's there. So if you're not going through anything right now, that's great, and we rejoice with you. And you sure don't want to live in fear thinking, well, it could be my tomorrow. Tomorrow could be. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying put the word of God in you. Feed your faith in this area so that when challenges come, because we know they come, we're not going to fall in fear. We're built up in faith knowing that we have victory. So if it's, you know, songs like we sang, you know, today that talk about the victory that you have and then listening to messages like this and reading the story about Jehoshaphat, do what you need to do to feed your faith about having victory so that when your challenge comes, you can walk it out. Praise God, don't try to fix the leak when it's raining. You fix the leak when it ain't raining. Yeah, no, that's right. Work on the roof when it's not raining. That way when it does rain, you don't get wet. So some things we're doing today is just just fixing the roof. Put some things on there. That way when the storm comes, then you're ready. Praise God. Let's pray together this morning. Uh, Thank you, Father God, for, uh, again, I thank you so much for the entrance of your word, giving light, giving understanding. I thank you, Father God, that if we'll do our part, you're faithful to a thousand generations. The Bible says that you're faithful to a thousand generations to those who love God and keep his commandments. We purpose in our heart uh, to, to be Uh, lovers of you and to keep your commandments and we know when we do our part you're faithful to us not just to us but a thousand generations beyond us you're faithful to our kids to our grandkids to our great grandkids the things that we the, the decisions that we make today you honor those decisions indefinitely year after year generation after generation 